Amen. Now, just, just by way of explanation, as I come to today's teaching, this never happened before, but I ran out of time last Sunday uh, <laughs> with, with my teaching. And, and here's what we're doing during the month of August, and this really ties in with our Grace Care focus. What, what we are doing is we're, we're looking at a teaching series, and the series is entitled, It Goes Without Saying. And what we're doing in this series, It Goes Without Saying, is that we are looking at three statements that Jesus made in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, that he did not preface by saying, I command you to do this, or I want you to do this, but actually with each of these statements, he introduced them with the word, when, when you do this. So there was an automatic assumption on Christ's part that his followers would be involved in these things. They go without saying. And, and it's very interesting that amongst, you know, if, if you say, well, what are the three things that Jesus expects of us? You might say, number one, pray. Or, or you might say, number one, he wants us to really know the Bible. Or you might say, number one, here's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to be fully committed to and connected to a church. And the first thing he said that he thought should be automatic among his followers is none of those three. You know, it's so often I've had conversations with people and, and they're, they're perhaps in a position where, where they need the Lord's help in different ways. And then when we start to talk, they'll say, well, I know I'm not as spiritual as I should be. I, I could read my Bible more and I, I should be praying more. Listen, we could all read the Bible more and we should all be praying more. All right, don't admit it then. All right. Okay. <laughs> But, but that statement of fact, if, if I, when you say I should be doing it more, um, can you tell me how much is enough then? How much is enough? I think we should be reading the Bible till it starts affecting our lives and then keep letting it affect our lives. And, the, you know, we need the Bible that we live out and work out and make happen, right? But, 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 but actually, folks get so aware of some of those, I ought to be praying, I ought to be. That wasn't number one for Jesus. He talked to his followers and said, first one, main one, when you give to the poor. That was the first thing he said, when you give to the poor. Now, now he goes on in that chapter then and talks about when you pray, and then he talks about when you fast, which would not have been an appropriate subject for this Sunday morning, <laughs> when there were waffles and ice cream and all kinds of things being consumed before most of us were awake, but it's, it's all good. But, um, and, but the first thing was, when you give to the poor. If you're new to us, you won't have heard me say this before. If you're regular with us, you heard me say this a thousand times, but I'm gonna say it again. The very first public statement Jesus made is in Luke's Gospel, chapter four. Very first public statement. And here's what he said. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Amen. Yep. That was it. That was how he introduced his ministry. It's like he, 
Here's Jesus now officially on the scene, starting his ministry, stands up in the synagogue in Nazareth, reads from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And, and the very first thing when he's announcing he's here as the Savior, and here's what I'm about, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And for followers of the Lord Jesus, here's the fact, Christ lives with us and Christ lives in us so that with his help and with his love, we will do exactly what was so important to Jesus. And number one to Jesus was when you give to the poor. Amen. When you give to the poor. Amen. Churches have different focuses and different emphases. But in case you haven't grasped it yet, and those either that are new to us wouldn't have heard me say this yet, what we're about is very simple at Genesis. We're here to help the hurting, to seek and to save those that are lost. When you give to the poor. So, Here was, here, was that, here was the introductory verse or statement that Jesus made about that in, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you give to the poor. We talked about the when last week, and, and very simply what the Bible does is it assumes that we will be doing that on a consistent, regular basis. So, this morning, I want to take it up from where I left off, and I want to talk about giving the why. Why we give. Why we give to the poor. And the number one thing that Jesus is emphasizing here is, listen, you don't do it for show and for human applause. When you do something to help somebody else that's in need, you don't do it with, with, you know, with a great fanfare so that people see you doing it, know that you did it, and, 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 and you get some credit for it. That's not why you give. Now, not only do you not give for human applause, but you don't give for heavenly credit either. In Jesus' time, part of the Jewish teaching, there, there was a rabbinical saying that goes this way, greater is he that gives alms, that is gives to the poor, than he who offers all sacrifices. So in other words, giving to the poor was far more important than bringing sacrifices for God. And, and, and in the Apocrypha, which is a, a, an interesting, curious few books that um, most Bibles don't have in because they were never recognized as part of the God-inspired scriptures, but some do. And uh, one of the books in there says this, almsgiving, that is giving to the poor, almsgiving doth deliver from death and it purges away all sin. Giving to the poor saves you from death, purges you from sin. All right. Slight correction, Jesus' blood. 
Jesus' blood saves us from sin. Jesus' blood is the only means to deliver us from death. We're delivered from death because we've got a savior, not because we pay the money, all right? Not because we pay the money. And, 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 and just by the way, we're talking about paying money to rescue you from death. There's no in-between place in the Bible that you need to be paying money to any church for to get your loved ones who've gone on ahead of you elevated and out of that suffering. Jesus paid it all. Amen. All right, sorry, just got off on a tangent there, but it's, it's good to remind ourselves, isn't it? You know, my, my eternal future does not, does not rely on my goodness or I'm fried. And you are too, yeah. right? Yeah. My eternal destiny is totally linked with what Jesus has done. And what he did was enough for every single one of us. So we don't give to the poor to get credits in heaven. Now, some of you, if you know the Bible a little bit more, maybe, you may say to me, say, hold up, Roger, hold up. In that same chapter, Jesus talked about laying up treasure in heaven and not on earth. Yeah, he did, but he still wasn't talking about accumulating credits. It's like frequent flyer miles, right? Like, the more I do good and the more people I help, I can't wait to cash in my rewards when I get up there. No, no, Jesus was simply saying, you, 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 know, you know what, you, you need to focus on things that are of eternal value and of eternal worth. And then another thing, and I touched on this last week, but I want to say it again, the why of giving. We don't give because of pressure, not because of pressure. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 3, it says this, Paul says, I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, look at the next phrase, entirely on their own, entirely on their own. And then in the next chapter, chapter 9 and verse 7, he says this, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly on one side or under compulsion on the other side, for God loves a cheerful giver. Don't be reluctant, but don't feel that you are compelled. So our giving should never be something that we feel under pressure to do. And some of you have been around long enough to have been in situations where you felt you were being pressured. Lord, I've, I've, been, to, I've been to Christian events where I've made out a check for the offering before I left the house because I knew what would happen before the offering was received. There'd be a whole attempt at manipulation of everybody there. So it's like, you know, and, and, I, and, and, you know, and I, I like to think I'm kind-hearted. Um, you can comment on that privately later. Uh, but, but I like to feel that I am. But it's like, I know that, I know that people are likely to be manipulated tonight. I made out my check already. That's what I'm doing. Right? I wasn't reluctant to give, but I didn't want to be under pressure either to give. And we should never be in that kind of situation. And beware of, you know, beware of scams, Right? And I'm not talking about people calling you to check on your warranty on your car. I mean, I, I mean, beware of scams where people really, you know, they try to sell you a thing like, you know what, uh, 
If you give, you are going to receive. Here's the story. So-and-so gave to our ministry, and within six months, they had a brand new car, or they had a big house, or they, they were able to pay off all their debts, and if you give to their ministry, and they'll quote Bible verses for you totally out of context. Beware of scams. When you give, give willingly what you have decided in your heart to give. Now, let me just mention this for those of you that may not have been with us last Sunday. Let me just mention this. Um, at the end of this month, the last Sunday of this month, which is two weeks from now, we, we are, that, that Sunday, in fact, because, you know, a lot of you give online uh, at different times. So, what we're saying is all the giving that comes in over that weekend, online, in person, here, Sunday, what we are going to do with that is take out one regular week's operating costs, and then everything goes to Grace Care from that offering, okay? And, and so actually, the, the Bible verse I'm talking to there is this, you know, make your own decision, not under pressure. Don't make it yet. Just be praying and preparing your heart and do what you feel God wants you to do. I shared last week, because of the way Grace Care has grown and grown and grown, and literally the thousands of lives we are now impacting through those outreaches, we have gone from a position where our budget used to be a couple of thousand dollars a year and was easily taken care of, to the fact that currently, and trust me, it's a miracle we can do it with this, our budget now on Grace Care is $100,000 a year. And uh, it is a miracle. Ken and I were speaking to the Rotary Club in Patchogue a few months ago, and the chairman said, so what's your budget? And we said, well, about 100000 a year. He said, how do you do that? And uh, the bottom line is this. We've got dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of volunteers who give a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy. And we've got a lot of great donors who give us good stuff that we are able to pass on to our clients. So, but our budget is 100,000, which we, we, we don't have floating around in our general fund. And I'm, I'm just sharing with you, one of the things we're hoping to do at the end of this month is, is, is to put a substantial amount into our budget for the next 12 months. But I don't want you to do it under compulsion. Are you with me there? Are you okay there? All right. So. Let me ask you a favor, because a lot of you I've known for a, quite a long time now. I'm always sensitive when I'm talking about giving. I really am very sensitive. If you feel I crossed a line, will you tell me? No, I want, no, I really, I really want you to. I really want you to. I really want you to. And, uh, you know, I know you well enough to know that some of you may well do it anyway, but I'm, throw I'm, no, I'm throwing that out to everybody and saying, you know, what we do is we share with family what's up, where we're at, and that's it, and share an opportunity, but there's no pressure at all. Is, is that okay? We good so far? Yes. yes. You, you know what? I spent years pastoring, my early years of pastoring, where I never mentioned giving or money once. And it was then that I finally got this revelation that if I believed that God blessed us when we gave, I should talk about giving because I want our folks to be blessed. And, and so I do from time to time, probably once or so a year. And 
it spans two weeks as it happens right now. <laughs> but, but the reasons, you know, you, you don't give out of, compul out of compulsion. The, the, the word that I've mentioned a couple of times this morning is the word alms, A-L-M-S, which we don't really use a great deal, I don't think, nowadays. And that's in the older translations of the New Testament. And, and Jesus talked about giving alms. And giving alms literally means, the word alms means to have compassion and to be merciful. And talking about the why of giving, there's the why of giving. Because I have compassion and I want to extend mercy. God is more concerned about why than how much. I'll say that again. God is more concerned about why than how much. Right? We do what we're able to do. God isn't interested in the number. God is interested in the motivation of our hearts. That's why I carry a money order around in my wallet and have done it for years, which is a, a money order that's made out for a dollar, I think. Do you remember that one, Charlotte? It's a dollar, I think. It's a money order made out to our church for a dollar. And a number of years ago, I'd spoken on giving. I'd spoken on tithing, which I'm committed to myself. And, and I talked about tithing, 10% belongs to the Lord. And a few days later in the mail, we got this money order for a dollar. And it said, 50 cents tithe, 50 cents offering. Which suggests to me, I mean, we, we didn't know who the person was. Suggests to me that person got $5. And they wanted to give 50 cents the tithe to the Lord. And they added another 50 cents. And then they paid for the stamp to get it done. And when that money order came in, I was incredibly moved. A money order for one dollar, but obviously it was an incredible amount to the person who'd sent it in. Okay, now I'm going to tell you this because it meant so much to me. I kept it. I put a hundred dollars into the church's account instead of it. So I dropped in a hundred dollars. I bought the dollar money order back for a hundred dollars. And I've kept it. And that just reminds me of incredible dedication. And it reminds me of exactly what I'm talking about right now. It's not how much. It's about why. That's what it's all about. Because God sees our hearts. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, 3, you know this, you hear it at every wedding almost. If I give all I possess to the poor, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Right? Right, there it is. There it is. The bottom line is the motivation. It is love. And, and, and what's happened in those who belong to the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5.14 is this. Christ's love controls us now. I'll say that again. And if, if you think it's true, just say it. You don't have to say it loud. Say a quiet amen, okay? All right? Christ's love controls us now. Amen. Thank God. Thank God. God has changed and continues to change our hearts. Listen, the Christian life is a life imitating the Lord Jesus. And in the first book of Peter, it says this. It says, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps.
Now, Jesus is the perfect example that love will go to tremendous depths to help others. In fact, love will sometimes cause us to make choices that look irrational to other people. My wife and I went out to lunch on Friday, and um, I think we finally found a restaurant that keeps us both very happy. Yeah, I've, I found a restaurant that serves sushi that is not a Japanese or Chinese restaurant, because she's not keen on Japanese or Chinese cuisine. So I found a restaurant that serves regular food, but it's got a great sushi bar. I like sushi. She doesn't. So we found the perfect blend. But I want to tell you this. You know, sometimes they say, where would you like to go to eat? And she'll say, here. My, love, my wife loves the Olive Garden. I, I don't, but she does. So guess what? Sometimes we eat in the Olive Garden. You know why? If you love somebody, you do stuff that may not be your first choice because you want to make them happy, right? Okay, stop elbowing your husband. <laughs> right? But, but, you, but, 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 you do, but you do that. And, and sometimes, sometimes love will cause you to do irrational things. And sometimes when we care about those who are hurting, we'll do things that seem irrational to others. People might say, you can't do that. What if this? What if that? What if the other? But the reality is this. We're in a different stage of life now where Christ's love controls us. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.13, Paul said this. He said, if I acted crazy, I did it for God. Great. Put that on my gravestone, will you? If I acted crazy, I did it for God. I, I read a Bible commentator, commentator called A.E. Brooke. He, he wrote this. He said, life is a chance of learning how to love. And out of loving those that are hurting comes giving to those who are hurting. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, it says this. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears, and you made it disappear. If you see someone in need, and turn a cold shoulder. It was quite interesting. Last Christmas, a number of people, as we were leading up to Christmas, said to me, are we having a Christmas offering? Because many Christmases, we've received a special offering, not for ourselves, for different ministries. We took an offering to help the 180 Center with their buildings a couple of Christmases ago. Several of our Christmas offerings have gone to the Dominican Republic to help the development of the ministry there that we are so involved with. One Christmas, we gave the, the whole of our offering to a family in the church who were going through a very serious time with their son who was uh, going through some terrible things with his health. And, and uh, our Christmas offerings, generally an offering for something else. We, and somebody said, you know, several people said to me, um, are we going to receive a Christmas offering? And people asked me the same at Easter time. So are we going to have a special offering at Easter? And I said, no, no, no. We don't take offerings for the sake of it. And there's no apparent need right now. So we're not going to. But you know what I love about the question? The question shows hearts that cared. I love it. They were ready. They were ready. They were expecting. I said, we're good just now. Right now we could do with your help, but I'll just throw that out there. But, but that's, you know, but that's, you know, so we are good. We're going to receive a special offering. 
as I said, on the 28th of this month. 1 John 3.18 says this, little children, let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them, listen, and show it by our actions. Let us really love them and show us, show it by our actions. That's the why of giving. All right, so let me get to the, the final thing. The what of giving. The what of giving. What happens when you give? Here's what Jesus said in John 6 verse 4. He said, when you give, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you give, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, the motivation is never to get God's reward. The motivation is to help someone that is hurting. But as we do that, the Bible says here, God will reward you. I will, let me tell you this. I have never seen an impoverished giver and have never myself been impoverished by giving. I would say that again, because the older I get, the more weight that statement has got. I have never myself been impoverished by giving. Never. Never. That, that, that's part of the what of giving. In Proverbs 11 and verse 24, it says this. It says, there is that scat... Sorry, I'm reading this from the King James Version. I'll explain why in a moment. Some of you know, because I told the story a thousand times, but just look interested when I get to it. Proverbs 11:24 There is that scattereth and yet increaseth and there is that withholdeth more than is meat but it tendeth to poverty And the story behind that is is simply that as a teenager I don't know maybe my mid teens um, one afternoon I'm in a Christian bookstore and I'm looking for a, a book to read and as I get the book, it's quite interesting actually that I remember the book I bought, I don't remember even the name of it, but it was about a lady who went into the poorest area of London and started ministering to the poor. And this was her whole story, and that was the book that I bought. And then as I'm looking around, you, you know, you get kind of plaques and stuff in, in Bible bookshops, right? And we don't really have one now, do we? There's a gun store where it used to be, but uh, that's another story altogether. Um, but, but, but here's the thing, you know, and, and they had this kind of little sort of, just, just on, on, on thick card, this printed Bible verse. And the Bible verse that was printed on there was this verse, Proverbs 11:24. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. There is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. And I bought my book and I bought that. And I took it home. My brother and I shared a bedroom. And, and it was kind of, you, my mother said you could almost draw a dividing line down the middle because one half was impeccable and immaculately tidy and the other half looked like a bomb had hit it. Don't jump to conclusions. Yeah, but you're right. Mine was the side that the bomb had dropped. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and all around his wall, he had, these, he had kind of these, these big posters of... Uh, of, of, of different bands and stuff like that. You know, it was the 60s, the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, good music, the Kinks, you know, really good stuff. And, and he had this all around the wall. My, my wall had nothing. So I just, get, I just get four drawing pins and I put up my proverb statement. 
And I must have read that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times till maybe I didn't even notice it was there anymore. But you know where it was? It was here. It was here. I have never been impoverished through giving. If you have, please talk to me. But my suspicion is that there are a lot of people here today who can say, yeah, me neither. Me neither. There is that scattereth and yet, incre and yet increases. Real giving costs. If I give to somebody else, I haven't got it from me. But I want to say this. If you've been nervous of or apprehensive, try it and see. Because God's Word works. God's Word works. Try it and see. Now, now, you may say, and I've had people over the years say to me, well, I started giving and I seem to be, I seem to be in, in, in a more stressful financial situation than I was before. Listen, I'm not telling you if you decide to give $100 to the work of God, you'll get $100 back later that week. I didn't say that, right? Or $200 back a month later. I didn't say that. But, I did say, but the Bible makes this very clear, that when we give, here's, let me quote, Psalm 41, verse 1. God blesses those who are kind to the poor. Look at this. He helps them out of their troubles. God's rewards come in different ways sometimes than dollars and cents. There's sometimes far more. Ask anybody who's involved in any of our outreaches. Ask anyone who's involved in, in our missions, who's, who's gone, and so many of you have, who've gone down to the DR to serve people down there. Ask them. Say, well, you, you know, you, you, you invested time and money into that trip, so, um, you know, what did you get from it? And they'll tell you, I almost feel guilty because I think I'm more blessed than the people were by me being there. Right? Is that true? Some of you have done that, right? Isn't that the case? Proverbs 14, verse 20, even his own neighbors despise the poor man, while the rich have many friends. But to despise the poor is sin. Look at this. Blessed are those who help them. Blessed are those who help them. Proverbs 28, 27, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them will receive many curses. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing. Let's keep doing what we're doing. Let's make our focus the people who were the focus of Jesus. When you give to the poor, when you give to the poor, in 2 Corinthians 9, where Paul's talking about giving, he says this. He says, remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in giving. God can pour on the blessings in an astonishing way so that you're ready for anything and everything, more than just ready to do what He needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, 
He throws caution to the winds, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. His right living, right giving ways never run out, never wear out. Love that description of a generous person. And here's the thing we're assured of when we're giving. And I often mention this to, to, to Ken and Ginny who head up our Grace Care outreaches. Um, because like every week by about Wednesday, after the food pantry clients have all been served, like we're down to bare bones, if anything, with food, right? And it's like, okay, now we've got till Saturday <laughs> or Friday to get more stuff. And with a lot of effort on their parts and some very good connections that we have, God always provides. If you think of the numbers of people that we serve, that's a lot of food goes through this place every week. A lot of food goes through this place. But here's, here, here, here's what I often mention to them. So, it's a part of a verse in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10 where it says this, God who gives seed to the farmer to plant and later on good crops to harvest and eat will give you more and more seed to plant and will make it grow so that you can give away more and more fruit from your harvest. And I quote it because of my age from the King James Version which says this, God gives seed to sowers. God gives seed to sowers. If you're a sower, God will always make sure you've got seed to sow. If you're a sower, hey, good luck with what you got. But God gives seed to sowers. Jesus looked upon giving to the poor as something that goes without saying. It's not an if, it's, not, it's a when. And the outcome is exciting with eternal repercussions. Thank you to all of you who make our outreaches happen in any way, whatever. This is God's work. This is what Jesus' heart is. William Churchill once said this. He said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. There is no greater purpose in life and giving to those that are in need because we love Jesus and we love them. No greater purpose. Let's keep our hearts open. Let's keep our spirits generous. And let's ask God for more and more opportunities to show and to share His love. And out of that, out of that, we'll all be blessed. Let's keep doing what we're doing. And let's look to God to see where He wants to take us as we move forward. Amen. Let's pray together.